We have been uh, going through a series, verse by verse, in the book of John. And today, we are in chapter 13. Chapter 13, Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. Uh, There is a a saying that became a law of uh, physics by uh, a man named, I believe his name was Heraclitus of Ephesus. And he lived around the 5th century B.C. And he made this statement, and I think there's only like three statements he made out of his whole life that anyone remembers him by. But this statement that he made is now a law of physics, and it says that change is the only constant in the universe. Everything is constantly changing. Nothing stays the same. We're constantly going through time. Can you say amen? Glory to God. We are heading somewhere. Amen. Wonderful Jesus. Let's read. Now. Everybody say now. Before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, and this is kind of like, see the the, uh, comma there and then the comma here? This is kind of like an parenthesis. John's writing here. When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So let's dissect this a little bit. This Passover is one of seven appointed feasts that belong to God. In other words, this is God, one of God's holidays. How many like holidays? I remember when I was in school, I couldn't wait for Christmas or, or a summer vacation Oh man, get done with school. No more of this carrying so many books home from school and homework every night. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I wish I would have studied more. But anyway, <laughs> this is God's holiday. They're appointed times. And the, the purpose of them is, according to Matthew Henry's commentary, oh no, no, this is not Matthew Henry's commentary. This is from the book, uh, God's Appointed Feasts. They are intended to be times of meeting between God and men for holy purposes. They're supposed to be sacred and solemn. And this feast of Passover was instituted. God changed their calendar. And God told them, guess what? This month is going to be the first month of your calendar year. It's called Nisan, I believe is how you pronounce it. And it's a Babylonian name. After the Babylonian captivity, they changed the names of their months from Hebrew to Babylonian for some reason. And it happens on the 14th day of that first month of the Jewish calendar year. On the 10th day, God told Moses, tell the Israelites, go to your flock of sheep and goats. It could be a goat or a a a sheep. As long as it's a lamb, the first year, without blemish, it's perfect, it's beautiful, it's healthy. And on the tenth day, I want you to take it and keep it with you. So it becomes like your pet. Because on the fourteenth day, you're going to cut its throat. (laughs) Oh my God, a pet lamb, we're going to kill it. Yes, because it's going to take your place and the blood of that lamb, you're going to put it on your doorposts and your lintels because if you don't, somebody else is going to die. Amen? Redeemed. It's a picture of redemption. 
is paid for by blood. The Bible says in Leviticus that the life is in the blood. If you cut yourself and you let all your blood go out, you're going to die. You need your blood. Amen? But somehow God transfers guilt onto that innocent animal. It's now observed as a memorial and it is the oldest continuously observed religious feast in the world. Jesus knew. In John chapter 2, verse 4, his mom, they're at a wedding and his mom says, hey, they ran out of wine. And what does Jesus reply? He says, my hour has not come. In other words, Jesus already knew back then. My hour has not yet arrived. In John chapter 7, verse 30, no one arrested him because his hour had not yet arrived. Same thing in chapter 8, verse 20. The religious leaders of the day, they're all upset. They're angry. They want to arrest Jesus and they want to kill him. But he knows that the hour has not arrived. Last week or the week before, the Greeks came to Jesus. And this was kind of like a, a temptation for Jesus. Okay, the, the Jewish people don't want to hear me. I'll go to the Greeks. But Jesus declined because he said in verse 23 of chapter 12, the hour has arrived for the Son of Man to be glorified. And then a few verses later in verse 27 of chapter 12, he says, for this purpose I have arrived at this hour. This purpose. Glory to God. And then in chapter later on in chapter 17, verse 1, Jesus prays, Father, the hour has arrived to depart out of this world and go to the Father. In Luke chapter 9, verse 31, at the transfiguration, Moses and Elijah are there, and they're talking with Jesus. And Peter, James, and John are there. And of course, Peter doesn't know what to say, so he says whatever comes to his mind. Hey, let's make some tents for you guys. Jesus, <laughs> I can just imagine Jesus turning to Peter and saying, uh, we're not going to be staying here. So we don't need no tents, okay? But what were they talking about? They were talking about Jesus' departure from this world. In Acts chapter 1, verses 2 and verse 9, 40 days, I love this, after the resurrection, Jesus hung out with the disciples for 40 days. If that didn't convince him, I don't know what. Excuse me. <laughs> after 40 days, he was taken up. In John chapter 6, verse 62, where Jesus talks about Himself being the bread of life and that you should you need to eat my, my flesh and drink my blood. And they, of course, don't understand He's talking about spiritual things. And He says to them, oh, you don't believe that? Well, what of you to see the Son of Man ascending where He was before? How many believe Jesus came down from heaven? He was seated on the throne. It says in the, uh, uh, one of Paul's letters that He gave up the riches of glory. He was the King of kings. He gave up His throne in heaven to come down to earth to us. That's what sets Christianity apart from every religion in the world is that God Himself came to earth and became a human being like us. God came to earth and walked and talked here on the earth in a human body. Does that blow your mind? It does mine. It's just, okay, I believe it. I don't understand it. That's okay. You don't have to understand everything. Amen? 
And then in Psalm 68, verse 18, it says, Jesus, when you have ascended on high, you have led captivity captive. You have received gifts among men, or in one version it says, you have received gifts for men, even from or for the rebellious, that the Lord might dwell among us. When Jesus departed, he sent the Spirit to live here with us. What a wonderful Savior we have. Having loved his own who were in the world. Notice Jesus. You know Jesus had rich people following him. It says that um, the, uh, the wife of Herod's steward supported Jesus. Now Herod was the king. So Herod's steward, he's in charge of all his stuff. I'm sure that he was well paid. Jesus had some rich people following him. He could have gone to them. Remember the nobleman came to Jesus and said, you know, my son's dying. Uh, would you do something? Come. And Jesus says, oh, he'll be okay. I just said so. And he goes and finds out. This nobleman could have come. He could have gone to the Jesus could have said, hey, um, you know, let's hang out. You're rich. I like, like hanging out with rich, rich people. You know, they, they've got something. <laughs> but no, Jesus, it says, in uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, it says he humbled himself on the eve of his passion. He's more concerned with his close friends who will soon be left enduring the struggles of this world. They're not going to have Jesus walking and talking with them anymore right there. And Jesus is concerned. He loved his own who are in the world. He's going to go out of the world back to heaven. And he loved his, loves his own who are in the world. And then it says he loved them to the end. Referring to the fullest extent, according to Dake's commentary on the Bible. This doesn't mean that he loved them until his time on earth was done and then he's gone and he doesn't love them anymore. No, it means, and it's not talking about just a period of time, but the three years that he was with them. It's talking about Jesus having a readiness to do the most humble service on our behalf. It's talking about, let me read that again, it's talking about Jesus' readiness to do the most humble service on our behalf. Jesus said, uh, come to me, uh, all you who labor, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus was not full of pride, amen? Jesus did not go around telling people, hey, check this out, look at me, watch what I can do. He did it humbly. He did it with love and compassion for souls. Verse 30, he says, take my yoke, verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. What a promise. What a blessing. Hallelujah. In this life, we will have trouble. But Jesus promises that we'll find rest for our souls. Before I got, before I became, came born again, I used to listen to this particular musician, and one of his songs really got to me. It says, oh, satisfy my soul 
There was something inside of me that was yearning, that was not satisfied. And even today, I know that we can be closer to God every day, amen? We can draw nearer and nearer to Jesus and get more and more from Him because He wants to use us. And He goes on to say, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. There are burdens that we bear in life that we can give to Jesus. Hallelujah. Verse 27 through 28 of Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. Not just some things, but all things. Jesus is the ruler over everyone, even those that don't obey Him. Amen? That's just so amazing. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. <clears throat> Hallelujah. He loved them to the end. So, let's go to the next verse. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things, we just read that in Matthew chapter 11, all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, laid aside his outer garments, and taking the towel, tied it around his waist, then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, picture this. I'm, I can picture this in my mind. They're at supper, and... Uh, during supper, in the New King James, it says, when supper being ended, talking about the preparations, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. The enemy takes aim. And Jesus knows this. In Luke's Gospel, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, this is at the Last Supper, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he may sift you like wheat. So Jesus, knowing that the enemy is going to be taking aim at his disciples, already got one of them, he gets up. And picture this, the disciples are sitting at the table, and Jesus gets up, wonder what he's doing. Goes over and takes off his outer garment, wonder what that... And they watch, and he pours water in a basin and puts a towel around him. What's he doing? And then he comes over to them to start washing their feet. Huh. This is the King of kings. This is the Lord and Master of all the universe. This is God in the flesh, and He's washing our feet. Does that sound strange to you? It does to me. He put in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, or Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, all things were created through Him and for Him. Everything, the whole of creation, the whole universe was created for God. For Jesus. It was created for him. So I heard somebody say, Oh, well, was God lonely? You know, was, no, God wasn't lonely. The reason God created all things is because of his nature. God, the Bible says, is love. He wanted to share it with us. Amen? I like it when people share stuff that's good stuff. I don't like it when they share stuff that's not good. Anyway, First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 27 says, He has put all things 
under his feet, whether they want to be there or not. <laughs> Hallelujah. He rose from supper. Jesus knew that he had come from God and knew he was going back to God. And he honors, he's, he's, he's full of the honor of God. God honors him. And he's the heir and the king of all things. And he gets up and he comes to the disciples to wash their feet. The king of kings is washing their feet. Wow, this is unusual. <laughs> the reason. Matthew Henry, he has this uh, comment. This is a paraphrase. The gospel seems too good to be true. Anybody ever had that thought? And this is too good to be true that God will forgive us of everything. That Jesus paid the price for all of our sins, past, present, and future. If it's too good to be true, their saying goes, it can't possibly be true. But this is good to be true. Amen? Jesus gets rid of his self-exaltation. He humbles himself. This uh, is not in any of the other Gospels, by the way, the washing of the feet. This is a slave's job. And this washing of the feet is kind of ritualistic. But Jesus has motivation. He wants to be an example. He's lowly of heart. We also should be willing to perform acts of service in the community. Has anybody gone to see the Jesus Revolution movie? Oh, you need to go see the movie. Hippies start coming into the church. And one of the church elders complains, they're, they're coming in with their dirty feet, they're dirty in the carpet. Everybody <laughs> <laughs> they're getting saved and Jesus is touching their lives. Hippies are coming into our church. Oh my God. <laughs> they're getting the carpet dirty. So what does the pastor Chuck Smith do? <laughs> Sunday morning, he gets a basin of water and a towel and he washes the hippies' feet so they can come into church. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> I'll show you guys. <laughs> we don't have too many hippies around anymore, but what, what they are, they were homeless people. What if God brought homeless people into our church? Huh? Wait a minute. God loves them too, amen? Glory to God. This shows the pure humility of Jesus, according to Matthew Henry. And in verse 6 it says, He came to Simon Peter. Now, he began to wash the disciples' feet. I believe... He came to Peter's first because Peter's the loud mouth, the big shot, the leader of the group. And geez, Simon Peter's astonished. Whoa! <laughs> he says, what are you doing? You're going to wash my feet? And Jesus says, what I'm doing now you don't understand, but afterwards you will. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus promises if we don't understand something now, later on down the road we will understand it. Lord, do you wash my feet? This is Jesus who laid hands on the dead, the dead widow's son at the city of Nain and raised him from the dead. This is Jesus who healed the man with the blind eyes. This is Jesus. And his hands are touching Peter's feet. Peter freaks out. Whoa. No, 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 no. 
<laughs> You'll understand later. There's a <clears throat> it's best to let Jesus have his own way. Amen. Someone wrote a song, Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. You're the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and shape me after your will while I'm waiting, wounded and still. Have your own way. It's better to let Jesus do what he wants to do. Amen? Yeah. Matthew Henry says, you're not going to understand it now. You're not competent to comprehend it at the moment or to discern the purpose of what I'm doing. But Jesus comes to Peter first so that the other disciples will hear because maybe some of them would say, no, Jesus ain't going to wash my feet. Think about that. All of the disciples are there, and he starts with Peter, because Peter is the big shot. Peter is the loudmouth. And the others need to hear this explanation from Jesus. So they say, oh, well, if, lets, if Peter lets him wash his feet, I'll let him wash my feet too. Amen? Verse 8. Jesus answered him. Peter says, you shall never wash my feet. <laughs> Jesus says, well, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. <laughs> How's that? Oh, you want to you argue with me, Jesus says to Peter? Oh, I'll argue back. And I, how do many know? Jesus wins the argument. Amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. The Amplified Bible says, you will have no share in companionship with me if I do not wash your feet. John chapter 15, verse 4, Jesus says we're to abide in Him. So this word with could also be translated in me. Abide in me. So He changed His mind. Like I said earlier, change is the only constant. Simon Peter changed his mind. Okay, if you're going to wash my feet, wash me hands on my head too. <laughs> if Peter can say dumb stuff to Jesus, it's okay. You know, we can say dumb stuff to Jesus too. He still argues with Jesus. Okay, I'll let you wash my feet, but you're going to wash my hands and my head. Dake's commentary says, it appears that Peter understood Jesus was speaking about spiritual things, not just washing your dirty feet. If washing the disciples' feet was so important, then submitting and acknowledging that Jesus came to serve us is to be received with thanksgiving. Let me read that again. This is from Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown's commentary. If washing the disciples' feet was so important, then submitting and acknowledging that Jesus came to serve us is to be received with thanksgiving. Thank God Jesus came to earth. He came to serve and not be served. Glory to God. James chapter 4, verse 8 is a quote, a paraphrase of Isaiah chapter 1, verse 16. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. What a promise. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. You're double-minded. Hallelujah. Jesus said, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, 
but is completely clean. Completely clean. He's talking about spiritual things. When we got baptized, remember, these guys got baptized early on in the beginning of Jesus' ministry. This is before the crucifixion. So their sins were washed in a sense back then. And they're already completely clean. And you are clean, he says, but not every one of you. Even though he chose Judas and he knew what was in him. He knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. Don't really need that explanation, but it puts it in there anyway. You are clean. This should prompt us to examine ourselves. He's giving Judas a chance here. Amen? 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5-6 through 6, Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? How do we know? Galatians chapter 6, verse 15. The only thing that matters is a new creation, which echoes 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, and you get in Christ by getting Christ in you, you are a new creation. Old things pass away. All things are becoming new. They were baptized. They were cleansed. The heart that belongs to Christ is justified by faith. In the grace of God. The feet might get dirty during your daily walk. Amen? But we're clean because we put our faith and trust in Jesus. Then, when he's finished washing their feet, puts on his outer garments, sits back down, resumes his place, he says to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? What a great question! Jesus asks us, do you understand what I've done to you or for you? Hallelujah. He tested their submission and obedience that they might learn to acquiesce to his will even when they could not give a reason for us. Sometimes God wants us to do things or will impress upon us to do things that don't make sense. Amen? Anybody ever have that? This don't make sense. I want, I want to see my unsaved loved ones get saved, so I'll go, I'll go harass them. And God says, no, I want you to pray for them. Pray for them. And then I'll give you something later on to tell them. But just maintain the relationship. God, I want to see them saved. I heard a testimony. This pastor said, I got a biker saved in my church one time. And the pastor says, and he came to me, he says, hey, pastor, I got one of my biker buddies saved. I had to stuff his head in the toilet for a while for you. <laughs> accept Jesus. It's, no, you can't force people to accept Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah. So Jesus, first, he makes them aware with this question, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. <clears throat> and he uh, puts a desire. He makes them aware of their ignorance. He asks this question, do you know what I've done? And they think, well, I wonder why, he, wonder why he washed our feet. Why did he do that? Why didn't he have somebody else do that? And, G and Jesus says, okay, uh, this is a test. Not only this question also raises the desire or an expectation for instruction. You want to know? I'll tell you. 
Anybody ever watch The Honeymooners with Jackie Gleason? <laughs> they get kicked out of their apartment one time because he, he doesn't want to pay an extra $5 a month. And it's winter time. So they're out there on the street and it starts snowing. He's walking back and forth behind his wife. All right, all right, he says. Uh, Alice <laughs> tells his wife, you want to know why I'm going to agree to pay the extra $5? I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. You want to know? I'll tell you why. It's because you know that I know that you know that I know that you know. And, and Jesus, he says, you want to know? I'll tell you. You call me. Verse 13. You call me teacher and Lord. A double title. And you're right. Amen? Anybody that says Jesus is Lord, you're right. Amen? We should observe instructions. This... Uh, in the uh, King James, this is master. And this, uh, in Strong's Concordance, it means teacher, master, or doctor. So they're recognizing that Jesus is a teacher that has a doctorate in theology. Amen? <laughs> you know, Jesus has a doctorate in theology. Amen? Jesus is perfect theology. He's also, they also call him Lord. We don't have lords in this country. We have elected polit career politicians who should <clears throat> be limited to their time in office, but that's another story. He says we should... <clears throat> Lord <clears throat> means the supreme authority or the controller. <laughs> Jesus would like to control our lives. The Holy Spirit leads and guides us. Supposed to control us. Amen. In Isaiah, it says, if you hear a voice behind you, it'll tell you, turn neither to the right nor to the left. This is the way. Walk in it. Amen? We should observe his instructions. Verse 14, if I then, <clears throat> your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you guys do the same. Wash one another's feet. Christians should not disdain what Christ has done. I was reading in the commentary, uh, St. Augustine and St. Ambrose, they were bishops in their churches, and they used to do this in their churches. There are some churches today that have this ceremony. They'll pick certain people. We're in a foot washing ceremony. And there's some people that say, oh, that's ridiculous. Well, not really, because if Jesus did it, there's no reason why we can't. I'm not saying that we're going to be doing that in this church. I'm just saying that we should not disdain or despise what Jesus has done. Hallelujah. He did it as an example. I've given you an example that you also should do just as I've done to you. <clears throat> we'll stop right there for a minute. Master and Lord came down to us. You ought to study, and uh, I'm going to give you some homework. Read Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through chapter 15, verse 6. This is Christ-like behavior. In chapter 12, verse 16, it says to condescend with men of low degree. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22, it says, Become all things to all men that we might win some. Condescend with men of low degree. Be affable. I looked up condescend. It means to be affable. So what's affable mean? It means to be friendly. Be friendly to people. Amen? My dad, I don't know 
how he was raised exactly. He came from a large family, and then we had a large family. But I remember any time we would meet some of my parents' friends, they were automatically aunt and uncle, even if they weren't related to us. My dad and my brother Peter, he'd strike up a conversation with anybody. He could talk to a person for hours. They never met him before. Next thing you know, they're best friends. We're supposed to be friendly. Amen? Hallelujah. In verse 16, Jesus says, Truly, truly, this is very important. Pay attention, he says. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Let's look at verse 16 for a few minutes. Matthew chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, Jesus said, The disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant or a bondservant above their master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. We're supposed to be like Jesus. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. How do we do that? Well, God, the Bible says in 1 Peter that uh, we have been given exceeding great and precious promises. And by these, God has made us to become partakers of his divine nature. We're supposed to love people. Amen? We're supposed to behave in a way that reflects Jesus. and Live a life that is pleasing to him. Another way we can, we can uh, imitate God is we can use his words. Amen? We have the Word of God. We have His words that you can, Psalm 119, put in your heart that you might not sin against Him. Amen? We can use His words to tell people. And you'll be witnessing to somebody or telling somebody about Jesus. God will give you scriptures to say appropriate to that. Just be remembered and pay attention because one time we're out downtown on 4th Avenue, I think it was, and, and uh, God gives me this scripture, the righteous are as bold as a lion. <laughs> so we're talking to this guy, and I tell him that, and he looks at me and goes, you're not a lion. <laughs> okay, God, that was not for him. It was for me. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians 4, 16 and 11, chapter 11, verse 1, it says, imitate me just as I imitate Christ. And then in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13, it says these words, imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. It's not a bad idea to study historical figures who lived for God and made an impact in this world. Amen? Well, I had somebody say, oh, I don't want to hear about people, you know, that, that are not in the Bible. Whoa, whoa, why not? Some of them have made a great impact for God and lived for God and, and done stuff for God here on this earth. And, and I, want to, I want everyone's insight on how to live for God. Amen? I don't know. I want to know how they did it. Because we're not living in, uh, <laughs> you know, 2,000 years ago, they did things a little differently. They didn't have all the stuff we got today. We got more stuff today. Can you say Amen? <laughs> Remember, James chapter 1, verse 22, Jesus says, <clears throat> oh wait, first back up. Uh, so we're servants, Jesus of the Master, we are also messengers. God has given us a message, and he has sent us. 
Now, Jesus said, if you know these things, blessed are them if you do them. Anybody see that phrase, knowledge is power? You know, if you know stuff, you can do stuff. Because knowledge is power, it produces action. We get stuff done. But James chapter 1, verse 22 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. It's one thing to know, but it's another thing to know and do. Amen? Hallelujah. Knowledge is power. Let's move on. And then Jesus said, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I've chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate his bread, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Stop right there for a minute. This is a quote from Psalm 41, verse 9. Mr. Dake's commentary makes this sad commentary saying that eating bread in Middle Eastern hospitality with an enemy makes you friends. And it seals the bond of mutual friendness, fr friendship, kindness, and protection of each other. So this is a horrible, horrible violation of that. That Judas eats some bread. Judas was there when Jesus uh, miraculously made the creator the loaves and the fishes and fed 5,000 people, and he ate some. Jesus, Judas was chosen. Judas was an apostle. He was one of the twelve. In Luke's gospel it says Jesus sent them out two by two and they came back rejoicing and then he sent them out, sent out seventy two by two. Judas was an apostle. He could have been one of the, been one of the apostles. Glory to God. What a sad commentary. Ah, too bad somebody else couldn't have done it. Jesus did it. In Psalm 55, verse 12 and 14, it echoes the same thing. It says, my friend rose up against me. But the good news is, <clears throat> 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. It's a direct quote from Nahum, the Old Testament prophet, Chapter 1, verse 7. God knows those who trust Him. Philippians chapter 3, verse 18. Paul writes, he says, Many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of Christ. There are people who still behave like Judas. I was just amazed when I saw this This. Uh, guy at a protest there's a picture of him holding up a poster <clears throat> when Jesus comes back again we'll just kill him again <laughs> what a moron that, that's the biblical word for an unbeliever by the way it's a Greek word moron that means you're not a believer <laughs> obviously he hasn't read the Bible or if he has he doesn't believe it but the main <laughs> amazing thing is his poster he believes Jesus is going to come back or is he in for a big surprise Jesus tells him, I'm telling you this now. Before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. 
In the New King James, this letter he, or this word he, is in italics, which means it's not in the original. And so you can take this and say that you may believe that Jesus is the great I am, the Messiah that they've been looking for. They have already said, we believe you're the Messiah. And Jesus is reassuring them say, and us, saying that these things are going to happen right according to the Scriptures. And when they do, and because they do, they'll prove that I am who I said I was. When all is being fulfilled, they will need this confirmation because just shortly, Jesus is going to get arrested and they're going to freak out and run. When it happens, you will believe that I am. It will happen. Guys, Jesus, is, Jesus knows the future. Jesus is telling them, guys, this is going to happen. He's already told them several times that I'm going to go to, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to be killed, but I'm going to raise again the third day. And, and I guess these guys are just living in the moment and they're not thinking ahead. Now then, if they receive the message, and so, <clears throat> Jesus again, truly, truly, uses this phrase. This is really going to happen. This is really important. Pay close attention. I say to you, to you and me, speaking through the time, whatever you want to say it, whoever receives the one I send, receives me. Jesus is sending us. Jesus has commissioned us. We have the backing of the kingdom of heaven. Bible says, if God is for us, who can be against us? One translation says, if God is for us, everyone else might as well be with us. Amen? Nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. If they reject the message, they're not rejecting us, they're rejecting God. However, if they receive the message, they receive God. I like that uh, uh, young man... Uh, uh, I told you the testimony of a, a, a young man. He's a rock musician. His girlfriend goes to a church and uh, she gets saved and comes back and tells him, man, you got to come with me. God is in the music. And he comes to church the next Sunday with her and he's, he doesn't want to be there. And he says, oh man, I feel sick. And, sh and she's only been saved a week and she says, oh, that's just a demon. Oh, okay, I guess I'll stay. <laughs> And the, and the minister is preached. He's, he's not even preached yet. And uh, somehow, some way, the young man misunderstands and he walks up to the front. <laughs> In the beginning of the service, can I help you? Yeah, I want to get saved. <laughs> Praise God. God has come to us. Amen. We were the ones that were lost. Second Corinthians. We've received the true and living God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. It says, now then, everybody say, now. Now. We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. And this is the message. Be reconciled to God. We implore you we beseech you, one translation says. We entreat you. Nobody uses those words. This is a better word. We beg you, please, please give your life to Jesus. 
Be reconciled to God. Accept, receive forgiveness. Amen. How happy is the person whose sins are forgiven, to whom God will not impute iniquity, that God will not hold the charges against us, that we can be proclaimed innocent before God. Amen. What a wonderful Savior we have. Praise God. Well, I hope I didn't preach too long like last week. <laughs> Praise God.